1: Welcome to Lama Surya Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com/suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases or you can go and sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Surya to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom.
2: So we've been practicing the view, meditation, and non-action of the great perfection, or Dzogchen, the luminous great consummation, in the form of tregchud, or seeing through, being through, literally cutting through, cutting to pieces, cutting through solidity, cutting through the illusion of separateness, cutting through the separation between self and others, between oneself and the world, etc., or between oneself and one's true self, or Buddhiness, of being, transpersonal being, bridging that gap, seeing through, cutting through, or just being through. It's the main practice of zogchen. in Tibetan, there are many ways of translating it. As I said, cutting through, seeing through, being through, as I like to call it. Natural meditation, non-meditation. Etc. Because it's not just mental calisthenics or trying to improve our mind with a small M, our conceptual mind, our intellect, our intelligence or IQ, but in Q includes all the Qs: EQ, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, existential intelligence, psychic intelligence, somatic intelligence, spatial intelligence, and so on. Not just the intelligence of the intellect, IQ. It nourishes or actualizes and activates both sides of our brain, if you want to talk neurodharma, neuroscience, as it's becoming so popular today in our scientific, secular society. Treacherous, seeing through, being through. In the form of sky gazing, Namkai Naljur, sky, space, union yoga, as I introduced today, with eyes open, everything open, not closed, not going inside as some call it in the meditation traditions, not visualizing or looking for anything, not breath counting or concentrating on the breath even, but naked awareness practice, sky gazing, space mingling, infinite dissolving or resolved in the openness, the voidness, the intersubjectivity beyond Reference points beyond conceptual notions, beyond names and forms. Sky gazing is my term for it. Namkeenaljor, sky space, union yoga, merging with the infinite. In no way leaving out the notion of the one in the infinite, or the divine, or whatever you call her or it, the higher power, deeper power, the ultimate. a way of returning home to oneself with a capital S in the middle of the word, to the oneness, to see through the illusion of separateness or duality, recognizing interconnectedness, interdependent origination, interwovenness, interbeing as the great Zen master of Vietnam, Thich Nhat Hanh coined it, interbeing, interwovenness. So it's a wonderful, joyous light practice, not just of the mind, but of the spirit, of awareness, of the spirit, of pure presence, primordial presence, who and what we truly are, not just what we become as we grow up and are socialized and form a personality and an ego and a character structure and a mentality, and we you know, fill the hard de- disk of our brain, the left brain with information. There's such a big difference between this kind of Gnostic knowing, we're talking about here Gnostic awareness or direct quote knowing, intuitive knowing or grokking, Big difference between that and mere information or intellectual knowledge. So we've talked about the view, meditation, and action of the great perfection, swooping down from above, beginning from the Buddhiness, from the view, from the bigger picture, the great perfection, so-called, beyond perfect and imperfect, maha-ati, as Sanskrit scholar Chagyam Trungpa used to call it, Dzogchen is in Sanskrit, maha-ati, maha, maha. Zokpa, Beyond big and small, great, ultimate, total. The view of everything perfect and fine, complete, a lawful unfolding, just as it is, beyond notions of good and bad, right or wrong, mine or others. This is us and them etc and all the proliferating problems that come from that dualistic bifurcating thinking the view where there is nothing to do but enjoy the view leading to the meditation of non-meditation not just mental calisthenics not just trying to calm and clear our mind or get any special state of mind not just trying to be happy happiness and sadness or like an emotional roller coaster but be more well wellness, content, in harmony, flow, beyond the vagaries of experience and emotions, the ups and downs of ordinary life. Of course, including them, but not being totally limited to that, not being so affected by it, being more centered or more in the flow, more resilient, more content, more detached, even if that's not too cold for you, a word more equanimous, equanimity, equanimous to use the Buddhist term. Like the grandparents are more equanimous about the, play, the children than the parents who are still more <laughs> invested in and attached to them. And have more responsibility for them, too. Therefore care more. But the bigger picture, the view, the longer run, the eagle's eye view, the view from above that see things as they are, and how it all fits together. Not needing to put everything in its place. Maybe wherever it lands is the right place. Not trying to keep all your balls in the air either. As Buddha sort of said, perhaps maybe loose translation of what he meant, things, everything is already perfectly at rest and at peace, which doesn't mean static, but ecstatic, flow. lawful unfolding that's the meaning of samsara and nirvana inseparable as somebody said yesterday just finger painting and shorthand that nirvana is right here and now not elsewhere not after we die not in the west as some prayers have it in the western buddha field beyond the sunset and all that that's poetry there's no directionality in the ultimate there's no gender in the ultimate there's no time, the divine time, the timeless time, as we call it in Dzogchen, the fourth time, beyond past, present, and future, linear, conventional time, sequential time, the fourth time, the timeless time, the now. It's beyond time, beyond direction. It's the center, it's the circle, all-inclusive, whose circumference is nowhere and center everywhere. So the view, like the sky, open, without corners, without outside and inside, all-inclusive, the bigger frame that includes the entire picture, leading to the meditation of non-meditation, not just mental calisthenics, visualizing, trying to get in a likable state of mind and stay in it, like fighting for a better berth on the Titanic or repainting or redecorating your prison cell, so limited. The view leading to the meditation, naturally of non-meditation, inseparable from not emphasizing crossing your legs, closing your eyes, length and duration, how many mantras or prayers or bows you say, make or offer, etc., but quality, not quantity, the quality of presence, awareness with a capital A, Buddha mind as the Zen people call it, mind with a capital M, heart, mind, not just intellect with a small m, mind. The meditation of non meditation, of pure presence, of presencing, as I call it, because it's a verb, awaring. Being, cutting through means seeing through, being through, just being through, truly. Not just getting from here to there over many lifetimes, as it says in the general progressive developmental teachings of religions including Buddhism, by getting from here to here, totally and completely here, uber here, as we say in the non-dual direct access. Enlightenment now, one-step enlightenment teachings of Mahamudra, Tantra, Mahamudra, and Dzogchen. The view, the meditation, inseparable, and naturally, the proactive Buddha activity. Comes from that. We'll talk about that more at the end of the week as we prepare to go back to our daily lives. The virtues and the activities of the bodhisattva and so on. Action. But action is here too. View meditation and action inseparable. We're doing something, we're sitting and meditating, we're having a meditating period, we're walking, we're eating, we're talking, we're learning for some, you know, et cetera. We're experiencing. So view meditation and action always go together. We're not quietists, we're not trying to avoid action. Doing nothing is just one more ego strategy to try to make yourself happy or something. Thus, the Zen slogan, wu-wei, non-doing or non-striving, which in Tibetan is Jadrell, beyond action and inaction. The Dzogchen Master Patro Rinpoche always used to say this, beyond action and inaction, Beyond action and beyond inaction, the sublime dharma is accomplished. Oh, electrifying. Then what, what do I do? Or undo? Even undoing seems like too much. Cruel and unusual practices. (laughs) What to do, that's the koan. To chew on till your teeth fall out, till your jaw falls off, your head falls off. Then you'll know what to do. There's a whole, there's a whole book about this. It's a very ancient, great tantric text. It's called On Having No Head by Douglas Harding, a real 60s classic. In fact, the cover shows a person and there's a hole in the cover where the head would be. And his entire enlightenment was that he didn't need his head anymore. He was a very learned British guy in the spiritual traditions. That his head was just a big meatball stuffed with noodles and spaghetti, red spaghetti sauce. Or as I put it, swish on having no head. It's a great teaching. It's right up there with Zen and the Art of Archery, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, and some of the other spiritual classics of the 60s, which seemed like they were yesterday to some of us, but still recommendable reading. Beyond action and inaction, so then what? what do we do? What is the Dzogchen meditation? That's why we stress the view, not the meditation, not how long we sit, not the religion of sitting as I call it. What about standing? What about walking? Not to mention talking and many other different forms of life, activity. The view enhances every activity, every practice. View, meditation, and action, inseparable. That's the practice of the great perfection of Dzogchen. Dancing with life. Not worrying about it if we know how the steps. Enjoying the music and moving to it. What do they say? In the Dzogchen tradition, dancing as, as if no one's watching including oneself, dancing, until there's no dance and dancer, there's just the dancing. So, we've been practicing. I introduced today the sky gazing. Again, these are the instructions. Eyes open, ears open, nose open, and everything else open, and it's worth going through it. Chest open, diaphragm open, anus open, breath open, not... Intentional, you know, breath of fire or holding breath or anything else. Not breath watching, not breath counting like in some pra- concentration practices. Sky gazing. Space, infinite space, union yoga. Seeing through. Enjoying all the floats that go by on the Easter parade of awareness. Not just the pretty... Hawaiian floats, but also the scary battle of Stalingrad floats or horror house. I guess today we should say walking dead zombie floats. How cool is that? Everybody loves those things now because it's entertaining. Don't bother your mind and it won't bother you. That's the promise embodied in the many teachings of letting go letting be, equanimity, non-attachment, seeing through, recognizing impermanent phenomena, just rolling on, ownerless, selfless, impermanent phenomena rolling on. Wherever you look in the nine yanas, in the 84,000 teachings of Buddha, it's the same emphasis, it's the same intent, it's the same wisdom mind, pointing, introducing, directing, pointing out instructions. How to be, how to see this world. What did we hear yesterday from the professor corner over here? The Diamond Sutra purportedly says, I don't know, I haven't read it lately. All you need to study or all you need to teach is the four line verses. See this world like a dream, like a fantasy, like a mirage, like echoes, like rainbows in the sky. Like uh, bubbles passing on a fast-moving stream or a waterfall, like um, dew drops evaporating on blades of grass at dawn, like a sitcom, like a movie. Did I get most of them? Like a dream is really all we need to think. Not that it is a dream. There's still difference between daydream life and nightdream, between good dreams and nightmares, to be distinguished in the relative reality that we abide in, but at the same time, not losing fact that it's just a dream. Like the wise parent, when the child's screaming from their bedroom in their dream, they're being, whatever, attacked by a tiger or something. The parent knows if they wake up, there's no tiger. They don't go and look for their tiger gun that they have in the closet to shoot intruders. The parent, the wise elder, recognized it's just a dream. There's no tiger attacking anybody. Of course, they might very well take it seriously enough to go to the child's room, soothe the child, the child's crying, sweating, tearing at their pajamas and so on. You try to soothe them, whether they're awake or asleep. Of course, you take it that seriously, but not extra seriously. You don't believe in the tiger. That's the difference. Recognizing the ultimate nature of things while dealing with the relative nature of things. That's the great middle way philosophy of Mahayana Buddhism. Balancing the absolute shunyata, voidness, subjectivity, emptiness with the relative karma, interconnectedness, compassion, discriminating awareness and so on. How things work, the difference between food and poison, medicine and poison, etc. So, swooping from above with the view while climbing up from below through relative practices according to our capacity. Here, of course, we're having a meditation retreat. We're not just doing nothing. Although it may not look like much, a lot's happening, as you can attest since you're watching your minds. There sure is a lot happening, not to mention what else is going on. How we relate to it, what we make of it makes all the difference. So this practice helps us to embrace the bigger picture and appreciate everything as it is. Not just always be involved with sorting and liking and disliking and choosing and our ideas and concepts and beliefs and history, our story, our miserable childhood or whatever story we carry around, our victimhood, our this, our that, our not good enough, our poor, you know, whatever. I'm just a woman, I can't become president. I'm just a black, I can't become president. I don't know why you'd want to become president today. Oprah would be crazy <laughs> to become president. But whatever you think. In short, your story. Just one more story. Of course, it's an important one. It's for you to tend to attend to and be aware of, but factor in. It's not the whole story, there are other perspectives. There are other people even, who knew? Not to mention other kinds of beings, not just people. Not just white people, look around the room. There are other kinds of people, who knew? There are other ways of living. There are other ways of seeing things. There are other religions, who knew? They don't tell you that when you're growing up, usually. So this practice helps loosen all that up, and then we get to choose more choicefully our life, our attitude, our atti- and our actions. We find freedom and autonomy within interconnectedness, not just teenage independence, but autonomy within interconnectedness. So view meditation and action inseparable. So now if we talk more specifically about the Dzogchen meditation of non-meditation, of innate wakefulness, not concentration, not visualizing, not chanting, not radiating lights, not healing, not praying for peace or praying for help. The gum, the view, the bigger picture, everything. I hate to say perfect, everything as it is, how about that? Gorgeous, or just as it is. See how it's so hard to not get caught in, in associations and value judgments. The great consummation, the bigger picture, the ultimate sphere, the view as it is. Leading to the meditation of getting used to as it isness, leaving it as it is, not just sitting crossing your legs hoping to get enlightened. In Tibetan, the word for meditation is gum. Getting used to it or maturation. Maturing what? Maturing the view, stabilizing the view. The naked awareness, the presencing. Not the discriminating awareness that can choose this over that and have good judgment and value judgments. That's more relative intelligence and and, and, uh, wisdom. So from the view of how it is, as it is, the natural great perfection or completeness or lawfulness, the the luminosity, the radiance of things just as they present themselves as they are, comes the meditation of non-meditation, getting used to leaving it as it is, seeing it as it is, leaving it as it is, and third, naturally being what is as needed, what's called for. Not coming with your preconceived notions, like the cookie-cutter model of parenting, or of mentoring, or of educating people, turning them all out on a production line. Not coming with your own agenda and obsessions and drivenness all the time, but if something's needed, then responding. So proactive Buddha activity, not ego-based karmic reactivity. Proactive Buddha activity. So the view in the non-meditation, Leaving it as it is naturally leads to the spontaneous compassion or unobstructed responsiveness of the great perfection. Not inert, not static, not cold and detached. Not mistaking equanimity or spiritual detachment or one-taste equanimity, not mistaking that for indifference and complacence, which is quite different. It's like the grandparents are not indifferent or complacent, but they're more equanimous and detached than the parents who are naturally more involved, responsible, and therefore attached to outcomes regarding their children. Pa- the grandparents have been through it all. So that's the elder space, of bigger view that we're talking about inhabiting in this practice. There are other parts of our practice with cultivating compassion, virtue, helpfulness, altruism, generosity, and all the other bodhisattva. Virtues, values are much emphasized. When we're practicing a treg seeing through, being through, again, the view like the sky, eyes open, mind open, heart open, everything open, the view like the sky, not looking inside for a Buddha or for anything, not looking outside for anything, not sky worshiping, not cloud analyzing, the view open like the sky, just at ease, just open, gazing, like on a hill overlooking the ocean and the horizon, not counting the waves, analyzing the clouds, waiting for your ship to come in, not. Sky gazing, view like the sky. And second, meditation, non-meditation, like a mountain. Unchanged, no matter what grows on it or falls on it, like a mountain. Grounded, like a pyramid, a mountain. View like the sky, meditation like a mountain. And naturally, precedes action, like inexhaustible, like the ocean's waves. View, meditation, and action resulting in the natural, the innate, great perfection. So I think that's a good key to remember as we're practicing. View like the sky and eyes open, kind of metaphorically embodies that, and spacious, not looking up, straining your neck or your eyes, just like gazing, not looking down, trying to concentrate, with room for everything sights, sounds, physical sensations, emotions, everything like the sky, that can include all the weather and all the planes and all the birds and everything else. And spacious, like the sky, really means like space, like deep space, not just the local sky. And meditation like the mountain, just vast, just huge, just one taste, unchanging, imperturbable maybe is the word not locked in, not fixed, not numb, but imperturbable is a difference. Not controlling, the mountain's not controlling, the mountain doesn't have to. Imperturbable, no matter what falls on it, no matter what grows on it. Grounded, vast, and inexhaustible like the ocean's waves. View meditation action like uh, resultant the great perfection. Three in one, inseparable, like three in one oil, not even in sequence. The view enhances every relative practice or just every action in life, even brushing your teeth. As Thich Nhat Hanh famously said, one of the introducers of mindfulness to the bigger world, washing dishes in the sunlight of awareness is enlightenment practice. Not hurrying with the dishes, not bothering to wait for hot water and just throwing them you know, into the drying rack. Or I mean, you modern people, you may have dishwashers, or I don't know what microwaves. But washing dishes is the practice, not hurrying through that so you can get to your meditation room, sit, and try not to think. <laughs> I won't name any names. Not just dishes, because we all love food. Also diaper shit, shoveling the snow, whatever, doing what has to be done, going to work, doing what has to be done in the sunlight of awareness, that's enlightenment practice, that's the awakened life style, as it were. To complete this tirade, and because Vipassana man is sitting right in front of me, thinking about Vipassana and Dzogchen, and how this is not, or is like a Vipassana retreat, and I'm sure you remember Vipassana Boy, that Buddha said there were four main positions for cultivating mindfulness. He didn't use the word meditation because he didn't speak English. Buddha, maybe you're familiar. He probably spoke Pali or Prakrit or some very ancient language. Anyway, he said there were four, he called it cultivating mindfulness. That was his teaching. He said there were four main positions. Sitting, of course, that's obvious. Anybody remember the others? Vipassana Boy? Standing, that's a good one. Walking, and what's the fourth? Lying down. That pretty much covers it. Of course, if he was alive today, he might include a few others, you know, like jogging, swatting, I don't know what, swimming, um, thumbing. <laughs> thumbing used to mean something else, but you know what I'm talking about, thumbing. Or in my case, <laughs> fat fingering. Maybe some of you receive my typo texts. (laughs) In other words, what is the point? Every posture is the posture for cultivating mindfulness. Again, the view enhances every practice and everything we do. And that's how we integrate the dharma into daily life, into every creek, every nook and cranny of daily life not just at peak experiences and retreats or in pilgrimages and caves and mountaintops and deserts and holy lands, not just at retreats, you know, once a year, once a month, once a season, whenever you come, not just on your meditation cushion or yoga mat in the morning or a couple times a week at the yoga studio, but there's the rest of the day, the rest of the week to account for, mingling spirit and life. They're inseparable anyway. We're really the ones that see it as separate. Integrating Dharma into daily life, that's where the rubber really meets the road on the spiritual path every day. Being a backyard bodhisattva, being a mother, a father, bodhisattva, being a doctor, healer, bodhisattva. Not just a business, not just a selfish you know, bodhi, um, person in the helping professions or whatever. But we don't even have to be in the helping professions or think we should be like Mother Teresa. Everything we do is part of it, can be part of it. See this world like an altar and all the beings, including ourselves, like the deities on it. Pure perception, sacred outlook, sacramental vision. It's a great practice for daily life. Any questions, please, or sharing?
3: So just now you were saying, uh, waiting to become enlightened, but yesterday we, sp- you know, we kind of said enlightenment is now. I'm getting, I, I'm maybe I'm missing a key piece. I don't know. But then you said, being there while getting there. Are we? It's almost like a. It's you're you're breaking it apart. You're you're making it two separate things rather. You know, like if enlightenment is now, then we're already there. Can you elaborate on that? That's
2: the, big, that's the ultimate view. Which. <laughs>
3: which? Which one?
2: That samsara and nirvana are inseparable to quote from the scriptures. I don't wanna reify your words if enlightenment is now, but you know, that's related. Are you following? Okay. No. So the, the um, philosophical premise or explanation is in the ultimate, the ultimate and the conventional have to be taken into account. So the, the conventional, I hardly need to speak about. That's the world we live in, study, and educated in. But we forget about the, that there's maybe another side to it. I mean, maybe there isn't. But we're in trying introducing that there's another side to it. And it's not even another side, it's the two sides of the same hand. So it may matter which side of the hand you use. You know, I don't know, you use this side for one thing and this side for another, I don't know. Right? Mm-hmm. Or left or right, or which side of road you drive on might matter very much. But in the relative, it's different. In the absolute, it doesn't matter. It only matters that you drive on the right side, the correct side of the road, if you want you and your passengers to live. Are you with me? Yeah. So in the ultimate, it doesn't matter, it's all one, but in the relative, it matters totally. And if you don't know, you will have the total uh, bill for not know for that ignorance, which is death on, by, on the road. Is that clear? I, I think so. That's the meaning, of a relative perspective. But in the ultimate, of course, there's no right and wrong which side of the road. It's very arbitrary. It's like local laws. In one country, it's illegal to I don't know what. What should I mention? That won't get everybody riled up. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) But in other countries, the same thing is legal. So that's very local. But then there are universal laws. I'm not talking about my truth or your truth, universal laws. Like, I don't know what, you know, gravity, or that um, human babies take uh, a certain amount of months to gestate not necessarily nine months, but definitely a certain amount, not 100 months, not two months, while other animals may have a different gestation period. So universal laws of human, you know, still isn't that universal, but like most humans, or like parents love their children, and animals love their children, I know there may be some exceptions, you with me? Those more universal laws, not local man-made, usually man-by-men made laws. So yes, the general teaching, the Buddhist religion, is about a path and a goal, and going from the darkness of ignorance to the light of enlightenment, like all the other traditions, a progressive path and goal. And the mystical, or the non-dual, or the deeper, higher, vaster part of the Buddhist religion also recognizes that... The goal is not after we die or after many lives necessarily, that it is available here and now because it's beyond time or space or duration. So the samsara, the darkness and nirvana or the light are inseparable. Just like shadows and light can be very distinguishable, but there's no such thing as shadow. There's only light and more or less of it. That's more the oneness view or the unity vision, the non-dual vision, the ultimate truth. So if we're going to talk about religions, religions like to talk about truths, truth. So Buddhism doesn't favor that because it sounds a little dogmatic. So in Buddhism, there's two truths. There's the ultimate truth or perspective and the relative truth or perspective. In the relative, there's causation and virtue and vice and good and bad. And in the ultimate It's very hard to say those things. There's no one to say them. Death is not bad, and so forth. In the ultimate, how can you say death is bad? Death is life. Death may even be good. You may even have to put down your beloved dog or cat. Death may be the compassionate, the kindest, the goodest option, a release for the poor cancer ridden Uh, adult, in, in old age, right? So it's a little too simplistic to say death is bad. Everybody knows that. So the ultimate absolute truth or perspective and the relative conventional, that's the Buddhist middle way again, beyond extremes. This is Buddhist jargon. This is Buddhist philosophy. So we're talking about everything perfect as it is, as well as... It could use a little tweaking here and there in the relative sense. You, perfect as you are, Buddha by nature. And if you recognize that totally unshakably, you are Buddha. Nobody can say, no, you're not Buddha, you're Jewish, you're a woman, you're American, you're white. I mean, idiots say that. Parochial Buddhists might say that, but, you know, it's not Buddhist teaching. You with me?
3: I am, thank you. I'm very visual. So that's a good question. Yeah, I'm very visual. You had me at the hand. (laughs) Well,
2: I could have stopped there. (laughs) I'm also, I used to be a professor. Hi, Lama. Hi, Kelly.
4: Your answer and your question just made me think of something you shared with me this summer that I thought would be helpful to share with the group. Um, You talked about the the lack of difference between geologic time and heart time. And um, it's the same for me. What you're saying now is the same. If you talk about love instead of knowing or being,
2: mm-hmm. right.
4: a five-year-old falling in love for the first time who only has five years of geologic time is no different than a 50-year-old falling in love and getting married. That feeling is the same. and so.
2: So you say. Go on.
4: I don't. So I think. <laughs> right. Is that the same? Are you talking no, about the same thing? not to
2: me. I don't know that a five-year-old is as mature to have the same feeling as an you know, adult love. His different gradations seems to me of love. But in Human that moment, love.
4: is it the same? In
2: divine love. Divine love, there's no gradations, maybe. We could, I mean, just, this is just finger painting. What, what are you really getting at?
4: I'm asking about relativity, I guess. So in that relative moment for the five-year-old, is that feeling of love relatively, and does it matter the same as the feeling of love as, a, as an adult? I don't know. And is that the same as moments of enlightenment? Is it, this, is it just what it is in that moment and it doesn't matter what it's relative to?
2: Yes. I'd like to say I don't know, but yes came out first. <laughs> I maybe should say I don't know, but yes, I think so. I feel that yes. Or not I'm just freewheeling just, here, you know, yeah. I don't believe what I say. You got to you know, f- confirm it for yourself or not. What are you really after? How can I serve your, your uh, you know, how can f- facilitate your next step?
4: I think it's the wonderful and scary notion that. It all matters and none of it matters.
2: Yes, that's a scary notion.
4: And it's relieving.
2: And, okay, so that too. We heard from you know, the guy over there yesterday also. I mean, I mean, we can all relate to this fear. Mm-hmm. It's hard to peck our way out of the shell. We think we're, you know, there's a sky and we're in a, like where we belong and then peck, 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 and then all of a sudden we come out. But then there's another blue shell. And maybe others. This is metaphorical.
4: Mm. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I'm not in a nesting egg.
2: So you know, it's the unknown is scary. The new is scary. You know, Um, the big, the huge, the much bigger than us could dwarf us, but it could also unify us. You know, we could feel just a tiny when we look at the stars. Many people feel awe and awe overwhelms our feelings, our selfish orientation. But we could feel, it depends so much on our psyche, on our conditioning, what we call karma on our psyche or our conditioning, we could feel very small compared to all that and meaningless and lost. It's so subjective. So in relative, you know, cultivating, knowledge and wisdom and information and maturity and virtues and understanding and in, very, in many ways, relational or intellectual or others, of course. I used to have this postcard, maybe you have seen it, it's a common image that shows like, I guess it's our solar system, but maybe it's more the universe and it shows, there's like an arrow and it shows the solar system, it's like a tiny thing and then there's a point that says you are here. Anybody get that image in your mind? So I like that, I thought that was cool, you know, that reminded me, not just insignificant, but also part of it and infinite and vast and I can't understand everything, but also don't have to understand everything. So can't understand is a little scary when you're young and life is, you know, unfamiliar, but don't have to is a great relief when you get a little mature, remember? unscrew the light bulb and shoot it into the hoop of the garbage can on having no head can also be a big relief (coughs) so not to really take up not not to just land on either side just yes don't fall into nihilism this big this vast is also the oneness it's the beauty you know buddhism takes a sort of a agnostic position on God, on the oneness, on the divine, but it's what usually we think of as God. It's not just like death, oblivion, sad. When the bubble bursts in the sea, it's an image of the small self or the human coil being released into the divine from which it's never been apart, part, being released into the divine. That's highly positive. That's what people consider the most positive thing in the world, most people. So let's not get lost in our intellectual concepts here like the all or nothing about we're nothing or is it, it's nothing and we're so small and we're just insignificant. Usually we're such egotists so we don't feel insignificant so maybe that's not a bad, you know, supplement. But it shouldn't be our whole diet. This is not about insignificant and meaningless. I hope that's helpful. I also know you you lost a child, so that you are thinking about the feeling in these things. And, you know, there's no suffering, human suffering or pain like that, I'm sure. So, you know, I feel your grief. And we all feel it. And that's why all these ideas and concepts are so secondary, if not tertiary, when it really comes down to what's important in life. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, what's important in life. Fuck philosophy. And that's the limits of the mind, of concepts. Of course, philosophy could be very beautiful, interesting, but it's just a beautiful, interesting thing. It's not the most important thing in life. Questions or sharing?
5: Question about karma. You talked uh, a bit today about action, and uh, you talked yesterday about uh, the good news that uh, the future starts now and we uh, do positive actions and that has positive results, and negative actions, uh, not so positive results. It seems to me that that's half of karma because cause and effect, the the cause produces effects, the effects become causes which produce other effects. And if we look backward, there's a whole tapestry of Mm -hmm. causes and effects for at least 13.8 billion years, as far as we can see back. I'm having trouble understanding how my actions are not the result of a billion causes that went before. Um, is everybody
2: listening and following? Now we're getting to the interesting, important question. Could you say that again? How is it I'm that having your trouble, actions, I'm you a the trouble, double negative, so go slow.
5: Yeah, I'm having trouble, uh, tr- first of all, trying to imagine an effect that doesn't have a cause or something. No, that just could you arises. ask your question?
2: It was much clearer. How is it?
5: How, how, how is my action not dependent on the billion causes and effects that came before and produced me and produced the situation I'm in? Uh, the kicking or kissing the child yeah uh, right. a billion things went into the fact that the child and I are even in the same room that's together that's
2: right good thinking so can i answer your question now when well, we got to the point it is dependent on those it is dependent on those so so if that's true, if it if, is dependent, if that's on those, true, then how
5: can I be, uh, how can be responsible, or be, uh, be responsible, be punished or rewarded for right. my good or bad action?
2: Yes, you're right. Karma has, um... well, first of all, you know, since you are talking, speak very clearly, I didn't want to interrupt or I don't really want to say it depends what you mean by karma because you're using it very well. Karma It's said to mean cause and effect. It's said to mean causation. It's said to mean conditioning. It's said to mean action, action or activity. I don't see any my in that, or human. There's no anthropocentric emphasis in that definition. So, how does it become your karma, my karma, my action, why should I be punished or rewarded is a very interesting question. But maybe we need to be thinking about the word that has intruded now, the my, rather than the naughty concept of karma. All of a sudden, there's a my intruding into this question, which is very natural, which we all have, as you said. Somebody else who's more, who, who puts it a different way, might say, so why does it matter what I do? If it's also, you know, the millions of causes and the whatever number you just said, 13 billion of years of evolution or whatever you're thinking about, the universal race, species, the my might be the issue. How did it become your? You're right. So you are not rewarded or punished. There is only the karmic unfolding. You is the illusion. In Buddhism, it's called the me and the mind. That's the illusion of self self-grasping you have intruded this is everybody following you don't get punished or rewarded these actions have positive or negative results that you know you're calling punishment and reward that calling that my punishment my reward is the Self-illusion that comes with the self-story, the history, the selfing, the notion of separate self. In short, there's a bigger word for it, much bigger, called ego. It's egotistical. It doesn't mean you're not responsible. It just means that you are not, there's no you as you think of yourself. So, yes, all those millions of karmic, concatenations, causes and effects, whatever you want to call them, influences, seeds, and have a big effect and bring us up to now we And can't, we can't hardly control that to talk a certain level of kid language. But the other side, in a way, that's the bad news. It's not really bad news. That's half the news. The other news is it, it all depends on what you make of it now, which we've heard before. It's not what happens to you, but what you make of it that makes all the difference. Whether you kiss or kick the kid before they go to school makes all the difference and going down the generations.
5: But isn't whether I kiss or kick dependent on a lot of things that happen to me? I mean, that, what?
2: But you included that already in your 13.8 billion years of multi-grillion and it seeds. In it, and it results Again, in a kick. so it's not that you're that we're questioning the you in there.
5: I'm taking the you out and saying it results in a kick.
2: OK, if it results in a kick? Yes, that's, what's the problem?
5: I don't think there's a problem. Where's the
2: reward and punishment in that?
5: I don't, I don't, well there will be future effects from that cause.
2: That's right, that's karma, that's the law. Whether those are rewards or punishments or good or bad has again a million influences on, did the kick land? Is the kick harmful? Is it a playful, loving kick? You know, are you the guy in the movie that can't move any limb except his foot? And that's how he sends his kids to school every day. Maybe you're a one-tentacle animal. Punishment and reward are very subjective. Where's the my in this? There's a lawful unfolding. Action has a result. That's what we say about karma, and then all the subjective things that come into it. Of course, we're not saying it's the same to kick or kiss. I'm just trying to see how we intrude our humanistic, solipsistic, you know, value system, and even the notion of self. I will get punished or rewarded. So there's a million causes for every act, and actions means inner, like thoughts and intentions, not just physical words. And there's a million possible karmic outflows, quote, yet to happen. And there's a lot of intermediary factors that have to come together to make anything like, obviously um, a punishment, a reward, or a good or a bad anything. So we're not entirely responsible for all that happened before, but we are entirely responsible for what we make of it now. But still there's a question of what's the I in this? So you can't abnegate or abdicate, whatever your responsibility. But there's also no reason to beat your chest and blame yourself for what went before. That's why redemption, turnaround, being saved is totally possible anytime in the now. That's the good news. That's the promise. That's the liberation from this. So you're shaking your head quizzically. I'm running out of time. Think about what I said. I think we had a very good and somewhat clear discussion just now. Not easy. But I want to say the great Buddhist master, Zen master, and scholar who wrote 95 books on Zen Buddhism in the 20th century called D.T. Suzuki of Japan, who knew his stuff, who had a PhD, from university in Germany. He was Japanese. He was an international scholar. His subject was Meister Eckhart, Shunyata, and the Via Negativa of Meister Eckhart. He knew the difference and the same between Mahayana Buddhism and Meister Eckhart. This was no slouch, this Japanese, this, this height-impaired Japanese fellow. He explained karma this way at Colombia in the 1950s to his students like Jack Kerouac, Kenneth Rexworth, Thomas Merton, Allen Ginsberg, and that bunch. He helped bring Zen Buddhism, Buddhism to the west, This D.T. Suzuki. He said, because people were always asking him if karma meant freedom, anything goes, or determinism. It's all scripted, as many theists would say. God, it's already scripted, God has, it's God's will, or something, I don't know freedom and determinism are the philosophical terms, are you with me? He said, it's the somewhat both. It's like your elbow joint. This is, this is the guy talking in English in Colombia, this amazing Japanese Buddhist Zen master scholar. It's like your elbow, you can move your elbow freely, but only one way. <laughs> yeah, you can move it freely, but only one way. So it's not just freedom, irresponsibility, you know, nihilism, nothing matters. What did Einstein say? God playing dice with the world? No. It's also not determinism. It's all scripted. So it's not what happens, but what we make of it that makes all the difference. We have the freedom of course, the we is the question. What state of consciousness is deciding, really? That's where the action is. That's why we, Buddhism is an inside job, working on the consciousness that decides in the moment. Because it comes down to the moment. So I hope that's helpful. Therefore, we get to decide if we have practiced any form of mindful anger management, whether we you know, lash back out at the teenager or not in the moment. Kiss or kick is just a, a caricature. How do you deal with the teenager when they're screaming, you your kid, that they hate you? Do you shout back, I hate you too, fo- mofo? <laughs> you practice a little mindful anger management. You have a more clear, spacious consciousness to choose how to you want to relate to and model it for your teenager, it, it goes a long way down the generations, again, the many causes and the many effects. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Karma is one of the naughtiest subjects in Eastern thought, no doubt. That's why basic religions of all kinds, East and West, have the same, very same, similar, same moral code, not to get lost in the in in extremes. You know, moral code. I don't need to explain to you the Ten Commandments, the Five Precepts, the Sermon on the Mount. All the religions have a very same, if not entire, similar, if not entirely, same moral code for the general population, which I mean can hardly it doesn't even think about this very much often. It's very tough even for the people that do think about it. So back to, you know, like the this awareness practice that we're doing. I really believe in this. Not all the philosophical hair splitting. Very important point for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas' Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support. And hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste.